You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. Well, we're back on YouTube after being censored and deleted and locked out. I'll give you an update on that latest outrage. Of course, the other big outrage, which is ongoing, is the left's attack on the Supreme Court that is, in my view, deadly dangerous. We have many revelations about the COVID vaccines and China and Wuhan uh, that's going to knock your socks off. Uh, Plus, we have a big victory in our lawsuit against the FBI. I don't know if it's a big victory, but it's a it's a it's a stepping stone of a victory in our uh, diligent efforts to get the full truth about the uh, worst corruption scandal in American history, uh, the spying on President Trump. Uh, first up, I want to talk about censorship. We've been censored by uh, YouTube. Uh, they deleted a Judicial Watch post featuring little old me uh, talking about Biden corruption and election integrity. And YouTube said, and they falsely accused us of spreading election misinformation. It was not election misinformation. Uh, YouTube knows better, I believe. And in my view, they've taken the position uh, that anyone who raises the wrong types of questions about elections are going to be censored. And the wrong types of questions about elections are questions Democrats don't like, Joe Biden doesn't like, and the left doesn't like. It's a part is an ideological effort to censor groups and individuals who raise questions about elections. And uh, in my view, it's inappropriate. Uh, They're engaged in fraud because they're telling people they're doing it for one reason when in fact they're doing it for another. And in the case of Judicial Watch, they locked us out of our account uh, with no warning for seven days. So uh, you may be seeing this video on YouTube. I hope I didn't say anything to get us struck again, get a strike against us again. I'm sure my colleagues here will start uh, waving their hands if I say something wrong. Uh, But that's that's the reality of being online these days. If you're going to be on the major big tech platforms, and we are going to be on the major big tech platforms, uh, there's going to be this censorship and this suppression and oppression. And I'm glad Elon Musk is uh, taking over Twitter, or at least... Last I checked, he was taking over Twitter. Uh, there's been a little bit of a, um, a pause in, in that uh, business transaction because <laughs> Twitter may be engaged in fraud itself again. Uh, but uh, he's committed to free speech, but the left is opposed to free speech. Biden is opposed to free speech, and big tech is opposed to free speech. Now, YouTube is, uh, we're told, uh, um, you know, when they do this censorship, they have a right to do it because they're a private company. First of all, that's not necessarily correct as a matter of law. And B, we found it to be false as a matter of fact, because previously Judicial Watch took down another election video uh, where I was talking truthfully and accurately about election issues that we had, uh, not election issues, but we were cleaning up the rolls in California. And the California Secretary of State's office told them to take down our video, and they did. So there you have a government uh, big tech partnership program to censor the views of Americans. It is anti-First Amendment. It's anti-constitutional. And uh, Judicial Watch is not going to back down. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what I do know why the left hates Judicial Watch. I, knew, I do know why the left hates uh, hates me. Uh, and I do know why they want to censor our speech. Uh, but 
they have to follow the law or they should be required to follow the law. And when they are when they say they are censoring someone uh, because of, quote, misinformation, that's a slander and a smear. Typically, they're doing it for politics. And Congress doesn't want to uh, fix the law to protect the rights of Americans online. The courts don't want to apply the law correctly because they say this Section 230 allows them to censor people with impunity generally, and it doesn't. Uh, so uh, it's going to be up to either uh, groups uh, like um, the businessmen and the, business and the folks around President Trump creating True Social, these alternative platforms such as Getter and Parler and Telegram, and, you know, thankfully, a public minded businessman like uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter and implementing uh, at least uh, more free speech online. And I'm not naive. I don't know if Elon Musk is going to do everything exactly right to expand speech online. Uh, but the fact that the left is so angry about the idea that there'll be more free speech tells you everything you need to know about where they stand in terms of our freedom of speech and our First Amendment protections. And uh the Biden administration has yet to pull pull, pull back from its uh, Ministry of Truth operation. Uh, the person they hired to run it is still there. Uh, and uh, she's still going to be pushing uh, for censorship and regulation of big tech. And you can bet that the leftists in Congress are going to push that as well. So this is something we need to be aware of. And let me tell you this. When they censor Judicial Watch, they are censoring you as well, because I know as a listener and a follower of Judicial Watch, you rely on our information. You want to see it every week. And when you're deprived of it, there, it shows you that the censorship is targeting you as well because it prevents you from gaining access to information and views and ideas. And uh, frankly, from the case of Judicial Watch, we tell you what the government's up to. So this is necessarily a pro-government, anti-citizen censorship program run by YouTube. Uh, Twitter still does it. Uh, Facebook still does it. And this is what they do. They censor. They vandalize. And by vandalize, I mean they falsely label material as being suspect, uh, which uh, A, gives pause to people reviewing it, and B, makes it more difficult to share it. Uh, and... Uh, and of course, the worst thing they do is they say something is false and then completely uh, suppress and, and uh, smear the person who created it. Uh, so this is this is something that is uh, an ongoing threat to our freedom. And as I said to um, the media about this, uh, Judicial Watch is uh, uh, not only going to back, not going to back down, but we have to recognize that the attack on this, uh, the attack on Judicial Watch is just a further example of how big tech remains an enemy of the First Amendment. Our friends at Heritage Foundation, uh, they had a video taken down as well uh, just last week. So uh, there, the big tech suppression is accelerating. And of course, it's just in time for election season. Right. So uh, they are suppressing content that the left doesn't like as they seek to obtain, retain and increase power. So this is uh, this is a major threat to not only our First Amendment rights, but it's outright election interference to advance the political agenda of the Democrats and Joe Biden. And, you know, and if you watch me for any uh, lengthy period of time, you know, I, I'm not partisan. 
I, I, I'm concerned about ideology. I'm concerned about educating people about what the government's up to, irrespective of party. But to be clear, the, 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 the interest here is a partisan interest. So it's not just left. It's they want to advance Democrat interests. And I call it as I see it. Now, but Judicial Watch, we're not going to back down. We're going to keep on standing strong for the rule of law, for your right to know. We're going to be litigating in court still, and we're still going to be educating you everywhere we can and anywhere we can about uh, the important issues that uh, we care about in terms of fighting government corruption, exposing government wrongdoing, and as I said, educating people about what their uh, uh, politicians are up to. And there's a, um, I, like, I don't remember, maybe it's a Madison quote. I'm going to misquote him a little bit, so I may be mis misnaming the the originator of this quote, and I may be misquoting the uh, the the actual statement. But he used to. But the quote is something like the the people have a right, uh, you know, a God given, indisputable right uh, to know, and it's a and it's a right that's awful in scope, in the sense that he may not want to know about the conduct and the character of their rulers, and the left opposes that because the left is the party of government and today's left is the party in my view of communism which is totalitarian uh, which is why we're seeing this broad attack on speech so enough about that let's get into more leftist outrage and leftist attacks on the rule of law uh, we had one of the worst attacks on the Supreme Court in history, which was the leaking of a confidential document. Uh, it's the first opinion of the court issued internally, uh, the majority draft opinion on the Roe case. Uh, there's a case before the Supreme Court in which uh, the court is considering whether to uphold Roe versus Wade and, and the various opinions issued since then uh, that essentially guarantee um, the right to an abortion for most women throughout all nine months of pregnancy. From the moment of conception, when biological life begins, through the moment of birth. And that's the law of the land under Roe and its progeny. And the Supreme Court evidently is willing to overturn it because the reporting out of Politico as a result of the leak of this draft opinion is that this draft opinion has a majority. It's written by Justice Alito and uh, and it obviously hasn't been finalized. And, it, and I suspect it probably will be largely like the final decision. Uh, but this obviously was designed, this leak, to put pressure on the court to protect the right of abortion. And in doing so, they've uh, created a situation in which justices' lives and the lives of their family and other court personnel have been put in risk, put at risk. You have demonstrations by the left who uh, specializes in using violence and the threat of violence and intimidation to get their way politically. And you have these demonstrations outside the homes of justices. Imagine if you had demonstrators outside your home. You'd be in fear for your life, wouldn't you? How could you be secure in your home when you have people yelling the most vile things about you and your family outside your home? And the Biden administration has uh, yet to denounce this, these demonstrations. In fact, when you look at the statements out of the Biden White House, they say that um, 
you know, people demonstrate all sorts of places. They should follow the law, but the, the implication was they have a right to be outside a justice's home. Contrary to federal law, and by now, I'm sure you've probably seen it quoted six ways uh, to Sunday uh, that prohibit any attempt to uh, through protest or pickets uh, to influence a judicial proceeding or influence a judge by picketing or demonstrating outside either actually a courthouse or a residence of a judge. And it's a federal crime. And of course, the Biden administration has done zilch to enforce that law. Zilch. And, uh, you know, I am concerned about members of the court. Now, who do I who do I think leaked this? I think a liberal did. I don't know if it was a member or not. But either way, I am concerned. I am concerned about all the officials, all of the jurists, all the justices on the Supreme Court and their families, because who knows? You got five justices, uh, Alito and uh, Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett, who evidently support uh, putting back to the states uh, the right to uh, try to protect unborn human beings from being killed by abortion. And uh, if any of those justices um, are no longer justices, I I don't even want to say the word, uh, the decision could be changed. So by doing this, you're inviting you're inviting the worst possible violence to be directed at the court. The worst possible violence. And I know Chief Justice, I'm sure all the justices, you know, at least assuming none of them are involved, are all probably upset by this leak. Because typically these things are kept private. And it's not typically. They're always kept private. Sometimes rumors of decisions and the way things are going on the court get leaked out. And uh, but that's a far cry from an actual draft decision being leaked out by uh, by someone who violated the rules and arguably violated law in several ways. Now, what, what should be done about this leak? I think there should be a full blown investigation. They should hire a special prosecutor, not rely. The chief justice uh, appointed the marshal of the court, who is essentially the mayor of the Supreme Court. She runs the police uh, and essentially the operations and administrative functions of the court. Make sure everyone gets paid. You know, they should bring in someone who's expert in doing criminal investigations because this was a crime. This was an obstruction of the court. This was a contempt of the court. And I know the lower courts, and I can't imagine a Supreme Court doesn't have the inherent authority lower courts have uh, to protect itself in terms of contempt proceedings when something this type of misconduct happens. Violating the confidences of the justices who are trying to uh, reach a decision in, in, in the way they ordinarily do without political pressure. So this is a very dangerous time for our republic again, because the left, once again, is targeting the Supreme Court with intimidation and the air of violence. And of course, Chuck Schumer uh, endorsed this. He says it's the American way for people to be protesting in violation of federal law outside the homes of justices. Of course, Schumer, two years ago, threatened directly, uh, I think it was Kavanaugh and Gorsuch on another abortion case. He said, you won't know what hits you. I mean, how is that not a threat? So you've got these these politicians who think it's okay to threaten quite explicitly 
incite, incite, you know, there's that word. Remember that word that we're not allowed to, we're never allowed to incite. They, they impeached Trump for nothing. But they said they impeached him for incitement because we, he know, we know he didn't decide anything. Here you got literally people endorsing illegal behavior from the Biden White House, suggesting they're not doing anything wrong to the uh, to the majority leader of the United States Senate, the most powerful man in the Senate, one might argue. These are terrible times. And um, the only reason I'm not yelling in outrage is because I wasn't here last week. So time has passed. So I'm not as angry as I would have been on the day it happened. Uh, but it is a terrible time for our country. And I tell you, the Supreme Court was blown up by this uh, by this leak. And the damage to me uh, is is to me. I don't understand if it can. I, I don't know if it can be repaired or not. Uh, I don't know what the extent will be. We'll, we'll still figure that out. But as one of my colleagues mentioned to me, she says, you know, think of all the other courts. If they have if they have uh, uh, opinions or decisions to make that are of a, a significant public controversy, can they trust their colleagues or their or clerks or other court personnel not to leak material out? Even if you're a lone district court judge, and I'm just talking about the federal system, it applies to the state systems as well. Maybe, uh, maybe your clerk gives you a draft opinion, and uh, you know you say, "Well, that's garbage. I'm not doing that." And then the clerk leaks it, blows up the whole system of our uh, judiciary. And I'm not someone who believes the judiciary is the end all and be all of our constitution. I mean, some of these judicial supremacists think the most important branch of government is the judiciary as opposed to being one of three, right? Uh, but uh, the Supreme Court needs to be operated, needs to be able to operate and consider their decisions they're making because the decisions are, you know, they are made in an atmosphere that's not perfect as it is. Uh, but when you have people tr protesting outside someone's home, it's necessarily intimidating, necessarily. Um, uh, there's, as I said, this air of violence. And uh, and I think justices lives are on the line. So if I were the court, I'd release this decision immediately. I mean, and I encourage you, by the way, it's out there. So I encourage you to read it. I mean, the good news is that it looks like the, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming this decision will hold up, the rule of law is going to prevail in this abortion craziness. And the pre precious lives of unborn human beings will once again be, uh, be able to be protected under law by the states. Now, Judicial Watch had filed an amicus brief with the court asking it to overturn Roe. Um, you know, this is a this is something the states need to be able to regulate. Um, and whether whether it goes beyond that, whether the federal government needs to intervene to protect lives generally, the unborn the lives of unborn human beings generally, I guess that's going to be debate uh, for a future day. Uh, but I encourage you to read this decision because I, you know, I I've been one of the reasons I'm in politics or in public policy is because of because of uh, abortion. Because if, if you want to talk about a collapse of the rule of law where you have a whole entire class of human beings who are kept outside the protections of the law that protect your life and my life. But if you're of a certain age and you're in the womb of your mother, your life isn't protected at all under the Roe 
laws. And that can be, that's going to be changed. There have been 60, over 60 million abortions committed in the United States. All those precious lives lost in the United States since Roe uh, essentially threw out every state law on abortion. And a restoration of the law in that regard is going to save millions of lives, countless millions of lives. And uh, uh, it's a great day. Uh, I'm assuming it's going to happen. It will be a great day for our community and our nation and the world. All those lives will be saved as a result of Roe being overturned. Now, of course, the left is going crazy. And, you know, I, you know, look, this is going to be a public policy debate. And uh, someone commented online, you know, one of the one of the downsides of, of uh, being able to have your views imposed on other Americans through judicial fiat is that you don't have to defend your views because the court said you're right, even though they bypass the Democrat, uh, the Democratic debates and other uh, uh, vehicles for uh, debating public policy by just imposing one side. And you can see they don't know how to argue about this. I mean, they love abortion so much that they're now debating gay marriage. I mean, so it's not about abortion now? I mean, it's either abortion is this wonderful thing or it's not. So they don't want to debate abortion. They don't want to debate Roe. And that's why I encourage you to read the decision. It's accessible. This is a decision that is, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but it's accessible to the American people and to the average reader. And I'm going to read a little bit from you, from it, because it's nearly a perfect refutation of the culture of death uh, that Roe gave us, that Roe gave us in terms of, of its impact and distortion of our constitutional authorities and our constitutional law, legal system. For the first, and this is, I'm going to give you a few quotes from uh, this decision, which I, I, don't, I guess we can post a link to it if you want to look at it completely. For the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address the issue in accordance with the views of its citizens, the issue being abortion. Then in 1973, this court decided Roe versus Wade, even though the Constitution makes no mention of abortion, the court held that it confers a broad right to obtain one. And that was it. That was it. And later on, uh, the court notes, uh, Justice Alito here notes that uh the dissenter, and he quotes it approvingly in, in the Roe versus Wade decision, the great uh, Justice Byron Wright aptly put it in his dissent. The decision was an exercise of raw judicial power. And he wasn't saying that approvingly. And then later in the later in this draft opinion, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved, like most important questions in our democracy, by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. And there, that's again, a quote from a prior dissent in one of the pro-abortion decisions. This is what the Constitution and the rule of law demand. And so at the end, Justice Alito concludes, we end this opinion where we began. Abortion prevents, 
presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey, Casey was a subsequent decision that helped up under, underpin Roe, arrogated the authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. So the left pretends to be in favor of democracy, but they hate democracy. And they hate the idea that unborn human beings might have more protections under law for their right to life under uh, state laws. And um, you know, I'm not going to debate with you or explain to you why I oppose abortion and why uh, human beings uh, who are unborn deserve rights, uh, including the right to life. But I think it's a you know, I think to describe it as that is to kind of explain where I stand. You know, the question I think Americans need to have: Will they will they move to protect the lives of all unborn human beings? Most unborn human beings, some unborn human beings, or just a few unborn human beings, or no unborn human beings. And uh, there's no doubt these are unborn human beings. These are human beings in the womb of their mother. And what rights are we going to afford those human beings? Uh, and what rights that other human beings have will we deprive them of without any process? That's the question. And I know where I stand on the question, and I guess other citizens are going to have to think it through as well as the various states. And the states are going to be already moving forward. Uh, many have like law. I think there's a few that have a few uh, laws that will be triggered that will largely protect unborn human beings. Now, uh, you can expect to follow up earlier that pro-life views will be censored, that there will be violence directed at pro-lifers. The attacks uh, on the church have commenced. Uh, churches are under assault. Protests occurred at churches all over the country. Uh, there's always there's actually been a raft of anti-Catholic violence even before uh, this uh, this this leak by Politico or a leak to Politico. Uh, so uh, these are not going to be pleasant times, uh, but in the end, more unborn human beings are going to be born when Roe is overturned. And that's something we can all celebrate as Americans and human beings. So I'm looking forward to that day. And I'm unapologetically doing so. Next up, the FBI lost in federal court against Judicial Watch. A court ordered the FBI to provide details on officials listed in an infamous memo written by the infamous Peter Strzok, the FBI counterintelligence official who was one of the chief instigators and promoters of the illicit spy operations against President Trump and his associates. And Strzok had written a memo essentially to himself authorizing this spy operation in the middle of the campaign, really an unprecedented move. Of course, the Obama FBI and DOJ, Obama White House were more than happy to let it go forward and endorsed it and ratified it and helped push it along. Uh, but that being said, the memo we obtained, and it was a big deal because no one else had seen it until Judicial Watch got hold of it, thanks to litigation. It was called the electronic communication. The electronic communication is typically a document that's used to open uh, and justify the reasons for counterintelligence information, uh, counterintelligence operation. And again, in this case, it was uh, titled Crossfire Hurricane. So this is the this is the document. And we'll probably we'll just post it online. We'll post it uh, so you can see closely. Uh, but you can see there are a lot of redactions. They don't black things out anymore since I don't think they like the way that looks. So they just white it out. 
And uh, so, for instance, this is CC'd to several people, but the names and the titles are redacted. Well, why is that? Now, the FBI has simply refused to turn that information over to Judicial Watch. And the court said, you know, in the least, you need to, and this is the ruling that he just issued, uh, he wants a supplemental memorandum of up to five pages supported by either affidavit or declaration explaining the positions and seniority held by any persons whose names are redacted from the CC section of the document. Again, here's the CC section. So we want to know what other FBI officials were involved. Now, typically, the justification the government gives for withholding the names of individuals is that they're really just low-level people and you know they have a right to be able to do their job without the public uh, bothering them. And, you know, typically that would be, in my view, appropriate for someone who is an administrative assistant or just essentially a muckety-muck within the bureau. Uh, but in this case, it's clear these are more senior people whose names need to be disclosed, in my view, under law. And the court, that's why the court wants to know just how senior they are. And they and the court said, if you think that just even describing that publicly might actually tell people who the names are, then you need to give that information to me privately in court. So we'll see what the judge does with it. Uh, but this is the result of a significant fight that took place uh, that's been going on, excuse me, since September of 2019, at least. I think we probably asked for it before then. So it's years and we still, it's a one, it's an eight, it's a three page document, maybe four page document. And they, we can't get, get basic information. They're also withholding the names of other countries that were involved in this anti-Trump spy effort that was illicit. So, you know, look, I'm glad Durham is doing some work finally after three years, three indictments. You know, that's government work for you, isn't it? Now, this trial of Hillary Clinton's former campaign lawyers going, going to be happening, I believe, next week. That's great. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, we need more information about who was involved. And we're not waiting on Durham. We've been in federal court fighting for this information. And a lot of what we know isn't because of John Durham. It's because of Judicial Watch. It's because of independent members of Congress like John uh, Devin Nunes. And I can tell you that a lot of what we know would never have gotten out, even with Devin Nunes' help and effort, without our filing lawsuits for the information that Nunes knew and highlighted was potentially there. Like the Pfizer warrants that were full of false information to lie, lying to the courts about in order to justify spy operations against the Trump campaign. Now, he said they were garbage, but we didn't see them and they weren't released until Judicial Watch sued for them. And they were the first Pfizer warrants ever released, thanks to Judicial Watch. So in this case, we've got this massive memo that is the basis, and it's a fraudulent basis, for spying on candidate Trump. Uh, you know, in the filing that we had given to the court, uh, we provided the court with two declarations by Kevin Brock, uh, 
who was a former assistant director of the Directorate of Intelligence and former FBI Principal Deputy Director at the National Counterterrorism Center. Brock testified that it is not standard procedure to have an electronic communication drafted, approved, and sent to and from a single agent, and that doing so violates FBI protocols. This is what he says. In the EC document here, the from line indicates the EC, an authorization to begin an investigation as required under FBI policy, is from a part of the FBI's counterintelligence division. The contact listed is Peter Strzok. The EC was drafted by Peter Strzok. The EC was approved by Peter Strzok. On the face of the document produced, it appears that the EC was initi- that initiated a criminal FARA investigation, Foreign Agents Registration Act investigation, of identify- unidentified members of the Trump presidential campaign, was created by Peter Strzok and approved by Peter Strzok and sent from Peter Strzok to Peter Strzok. This is not the usual procedure. I always think of that song, I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter and pretend that it came from you. I mean, this is what was going on in our FBI. FBI policy prohibits an agent from initiating and approving his or her own case. Such action violates FBI oversight protocols put in place to protect the American people from an FBI agent acting unilaterally. In fact, the EC, the electronic communication, does not identify any individual by name as a target of the investigation. It does not articulate any factors that address the elements as required by routine FBI policy and procedure and the attorney general guidelines and therefore does not contain sufficient justification for initiating an investigation into U.S. persons. Based on my experience, no reasonable experience and experienced FBI counterintelligence squad supervisor in the field would have approved the electronic communication issue here as released, which opened the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. The unredacted information released in the EC document here offers no legitimate predication justifying the investigation of U.S. persons involved in a presidential campaign or subsequent FISA intercept of a U.S. person. Outrageous, isn't it? And they don't want us to know. So here we have the Biden administration acting to cover up information about corruption from the Obama administration. Corruption which actually continued under the Trump Trump Justice Department and FBI. And uh, and now Biden, who um, is the most corrupt president to be in office since the, since he was vice president, his agencies are uh, protecting and defending the indefensible and trying to hide from you, the American people, uh, the details of uh, the spy um, operation against President Trump. And Judicial Watch, slowly but surely, is chipping away. Um, I like to say we smash through the stone walls, but in this case, we're chipping away at the stone wall to get more truth and more accountability. And hopefully the court gives us that uh, once the FBI is forced to disclose more information about who Peter Strzok was talking to about spying on Trump based on trumped up information. Really incredible stuff. So we have been super busy when it comes to investigating the vaccines and uh, the origins of COVID and uh, basically the government misconduct as it relates to the handling of the COVID epidemic or pandemic or whatever the technical term is for it. And we asked a very simple question of the FDA. We said to them, give us documents about um, biodistribution studies related to the COVID vaccines. 
They're going to quote what we asked for. We wanted we issued a FOIA request. We wanted access to biodistribution studies and related data for the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson Johnson vaccines used to treat and or prevent SARS-CoV-2 and or COVID-19. Pretty simple stuff. And of course, we got the proverbial hand to the face. So we had to sue in federal court. Now, what is biodistribution? Biodistribution is a method of tracking where compounds of interest travel in an experimental, experimental animal or human subject. In other words, where does the medicine go in the body? And there's been great controversy about the vaccines and where the uh, medicine from the vaccines or where the vaccine material went in the body. And was it limited in one area of the body or did the, uh, was there a broader biodistribution throughout the body? Well, we got documents suggesting that there was a broader distribution uh, in the body than I think had been generally been known. Uh, it shows, according to the documents that we uncovered as a result of our lawsuits, that a key component of the vaccines uh, developed by Pfizer Biotech, uh, which are called lipid nanoparticles, were found outside the injection site, mainly the liver, adrenal glands, spleen and ovaries of test animals, eight to 48 hours after injection. Now, what that means is that the lipid nanoparticles are the vehicle to get the vaccine to places where they're trying to get it. Now, I thought we had been told that essentially that stuff was all stopped at your uh, uh, lymph nodes under your arm. Well, it turns out this material was in other parts of the body. Uh, and the records also show that the Johnson Johnson vaccine, as part of its submission to the FDA approval, did not include studies of the spike protein encoded in the J&J vaccine. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not reassured by the nature of the studies that were or were not done here. The Pfizer records include a report which was approved in February 2021 on the animal trials on the distribution of the Pfizer COVID vaccine in rat subjects in a section titled Safety Pharmacology. No safety pharmacology studies were connected, were, were, excuse me, were conducted as they are not considered necessary for the development of vaccines according to the WHO guideline. Huh. I know some people who might disagree with whether that's appropriate or not. Similarly, under pharmacodynamic drug reaction, interactions, non-clinical studies evaluating pharmacodynamic drug interactions, interactions with uh, the vaccine, essentially, were not conducted as they generally not considered necessary to support development and licensure of vaccine products for infectious diseases. So it's, that's what it says. So you can judge whether you're comfortable with that. The Pfizer report notes that when lipid nanoparticles with a comparable composition to that used in the COVID vaccine were injected into rats, total recovery percentage of injector dose of LNP, which are the lipid nanoparticles, outside the injection site was greatest in the liver and was much less in the spleen, adrenal glands, and ovaries. So this material was in the ovaries. In summary, also, the LPLNP distributes to the liver. Same with, same with um, Johnson & Johnson later. Let me see that a little bit later down here. It's even worse for Johnson & Johnson in some ways, or 
the numbers are interesting. So, and the Johnson and Johnson records include a 2007 study of the biodistribution of intramuscular administered uh, vector based viral vaccine using New Zealand white rabbits, which showed that the vaccine accumulated in the spleen iliac lymph node and the muscle at the site of injection. A biodistribution table, though, included as an appendix, showed that after the vaccine DNA particle, showed that the vaccine DNA particles were still present in the lymph nodes 91 days after injection. And again, the report notes the metabolism, excretion, and, and pharmacokinetic, pharmacokinetic interactions with other drugs were not studied in this trial because, quote, they are not applicable to vaccines. So essentially, they had biodistribution studies done on animals with a vaccine or the type with a vaccine that had many of the properties of the RNA vaccine that was ultimately used in humans. But those sorts of studies weren't done in human beings before the vaccines were approved. You would think that get more attention in the news media, but it doesn't because there's this pro-vaccine fanaticism in the news media uh, enforced by big tech and the government that... Uh, you know, even raise, even quoting documents gets you censored. So I wouldn't be surprised if this video gets censored because I'm quoting documents, right? Giving my colleagues another heart attack because we've been censored so much as it is recently. These documents show why many Americans have concerns about whether the novel COVID vaccines that were developed at such an accelerated pace were tested properly and thoroughly. So look at the documents yourselves. They're really incredible. They deserve a lot of attention. And I'm concerned that um, there's safety issues being raised by the testing documents that we've uncovered. Now, one of the other angles we've been looking at, obviously, is where this vaccine came from and who in the government knew what and when. And was it the result of uh, gain of function or other type of research supported by the U.S. government, which uh, because as Judicial Watch has uncovered quite directly and again, doing more than any other uh, anyone else, frankly, to un uncover what was going on with respect to COVID in China. Uh, we've uncovered that China was working hand in glove with our government uh, on biologics research in uh, China, including gain of function research. We've proven that. So whenever someone says, well, there's no gain of function research or there's no, no, we have the documents and we have the documents showing that Fauci knew. Now, the other big issue is that uh, we've talked about bio labs here in the United States that have had issues. And we should also recognize this whole issue of uh, this type of research. It's all it's all part of a collaborative issue effort. And the scientists will say that's a good thing. You know, that's what scientists are supposed to do. Uh, but when you get into a situation when you're dealing with the communist Chinese, I think maybe you should behave differently. So we have new documents that show a Texas researcher, not just any Texas researcher. At the time, he was one of the uh, leaders of one of the most sophisticated, important bio labs in the nation, was in communication with his Chinese counterparts in the Wuhan Institute, warning them about interest uh, from Congress in investigating the origins of the COVID vaccine. Uh, the emails are from um, the director, I think he's since retired, of the Galveston National Laboratory at the University of Texas Medical Branch. 
uh, Dr. James W. LeDuc, uh, his last name is spelled L-E, new word, capital D-U-C, warned Chinese researchers of potential investigations of the COVID uh, issued by Congress. And uh, he was praising the researchers as well. well you know, I, I don't know. The record, for instance, oh, let me just quote the records. So LeDuc gets an email saying that Rubio and others in the Senate, Marco Rubio is the senator from Florida, are starting the push for an investigation regarding the Wuhan lab. So LeDuc forwards this email to Dr. Xi Zengeli, a top Chinese urologist. I think that's, is that the bat lady? Is that the infamous bat lady? Anyway, she's one of the top people there in Wuhan, known for her work with coronavirus at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, and he wanted to have a phone conversation soon about the email. Now, what's really interesting is her response. She says, she says, no, due to the complicated situation, I don't think it's a right time to communicate by the call. <laughs> well, you can bet the Chinese communists were monitoring everything he, she was doing. Um, what I can tell you is that this virus is not leaky, not a leaky from our lab or other labs. So by leaky, it means that it leak out from the labs. It's a shame to make the scientific question so complicated. So here you have this top researcher here in the United States. Again, this is when it was still, well, remember the medical establishment was suppressing with the help of big tech questions about the origins of coronavirus. If you suggested it came from a lab or had questions about it, uh, you were in danger of being uh, censored and attacked. And then LeDuc responds, I understand completely and I certainly do not wish to compromise you personally or your research activities. Given our long history of collaborations, I'm emphasizing long, doesn't, he's not emphasizing it, between uh, the Galveston National Laboratory and the Wuhan Institute, I have been approached repeatedly for details on our work. Attached, and he sends a, to, uh, to her a draft summary that she's providing, he'll be providing to the leadership of the University of Texas and likely to congressional committees. So he, she's giving, he's giving her a heads up on this, on, on his response to American authorities. Now, of course, they didn't give us what his response was. Then he writes another email around this time uh, to, uh, to Zengali again and the director of the Wuhan National Biosafety Laboratory at the Chinese Academy of Life Sciences, Dr. Wan um, Zeming. That, uh, he says that he's concerned the Wuhan lab would still be the focus of an investigation. So this is LeDuc, part of the American researcher. I'm afraid this discussion will continue for some time regarding where early coronavirus work was being done, the role, if any, of the Wuhan CDC in research on bad associated coronaviruses, and exactly when scientists at WH, WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, first became aware of the new coronavirus and had possessions of specimens in the WIV, and where was that work done? and the level of biocontainment. So all basic questions, and he's concerned those questions are going to be asked, as opposed to wanting them to be asked. In fact, he earlier sent an email with a list of questions that should be answered, and all the questions were quite legitimate. I'm not going to read them all, but basics about who was, had, who was doing the research, what were the safety protocols, things like that. Where, the stock, where were the viruses stored and, and other things. And it turns out that uh, LeDuc's operation was part of a 
defense operation run by our defense department. So Fauci's associate director of research affairs, Gray Hanley, so one of Fauci's top people, uh, again, this is around the time these all these emails, April 2020, once says that the embassy in Beijing is asking what the official name of your DOD supported training program and some other background information. And um, And to that, to the question, did the training take place in the U.S., China, or both countries? Hanley writes that since 2013, the Galveston National Laboratory was part of the NIH Biodefense Laboratory Network and provided laboratory safety and security training for high-level biocontainment facilities in China, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology. To the question, is this relationship still ongoing? Hanley writes, this relationship has been facilitated since 2007 to 15. Um, so it's been operational since 2015. And Leduc doesn't say anything's wrong with him, uh, those answers, but says that um, it was done under two separate awards. So this guy is getting money to spend to work with the Chinese. He's advising the Chinese how to deal with American inquiries about the origin of the lab. He's clearly nervous that there'll be questions about um, the, the, the potential origin of the virus from the lab. And Judicial Watch is uncovering all of this. These startling documents show that China had partners here in the United States willing to go to bat for them on the Wuhan lab controversy. And, you know, we've seen documents earlier where, and I forget the name of the official who was sending an email to uh, NIH or Fauci's people, I forget which, but it was our government, asking for specifics on how to keep the lab disinfected and what disinfectants to use. It was like basic, uh, it seemed to me like lab safety 101 questions. You'd read that, you wouldn't want these folks making you a ham sandwich, let alone working on coronaviruses. And now we know that there was support for gain of function, not only here in the United States, but in China, where they were taking diseases or taking viruses and making them more likely to infect human beings. And everything I've read about this, and I've read it pretty extensively, but I guess I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not allowed to comment on this, right? So Bill Gates, who is a billionaire who ran a corporation, is allowed to comment on vaccines and public health matters. But the head of a government watchdog group who has been investigating these public health agencies and reviewing government documents for two decades, I'm not allowed to say anything. That's the way the left thinks. But I am going to say something. All the evidence suggests this isn't a natural made, this isn't a natural virus. It was man-made. Someone messed with it and it got out. Now, do I know that for a certainty? Of course not. But I encourage you to look at Judicial Watch's documents. I mean, we have everything you need to know or there is to know about what was going on with COVID and, and China. It's just incredible material. And now we've got this new material that shows that the NIH uh, knew early on, or Fauci's agency knew early on, uh, that the relationship went beyond even 
NIA, uh, you know, the NIH and the health agencies support for Wuhan. You had the Defense Department supporting it as well. So Judicial Watch is uh, America's number one watchdog. We educate people online, through our newsletters, uh, through our litigation, right? And uh, we also write books. And we have this great book uh, authored by me for Judicial Watch, A Republic Under Assault, The Left's Ongoing Attack on American Freedom. It was published in 2020. And it's a, if you want to know how we got here, read this book. And uh, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's a great book. And I'm not just saying it because um, I'm the author. I'm saying it because it's a great book. It's objectively a great book. And it will give you information you won't find anywhere else about the current crisis, including uh, the attacks on Trump, the immigration crisis, uh, the election integrity crisis, everything that you are concerned about, we pretty much cover here. And uh, so it's been a New York Times bestseller. This is the hardcover. Obviously, it's available if you want to listen to it. There's an audio version and there's an obviously a, uh, a Kindle or uh, electronic version, but it's also being published in paperback on May 17th, <laughs> uh, which is uh, this coming week, or I should say next week. So May 17th, go out and get A Republic Under Assault. It's a great book. Uh, it's uh, the most important book you'll read. And we have three other books, or two other New York Times bestsellers, and you can get the trilogy. And it will tell you everything you need to know about corruption from Bush through Obama. I don't know when our next book is going to come out because uh, we're going to have a lot to cover under the Biden administration. Uh, but it's uh, one of the best books out there. Uh, Sean Hannity said about our book, uh, when it comes to fighting for the American people's right to know, no one holds a candle to Tom Fitton and his team at Judicial Watch. A Republic under assault lays bare the condemning facts Judicial Watch continues to expose about Obamagate, the deep state seditious coup to bring down Donald Trump, and much more. This is must-reading for every American who wants to save our reading. And I agree with Sean Hannity on that for sure. And when I, you know, this is what I've been talking about. Uh, I, I don't say the phrase, and we didn't title this lightly, a republic under assault. And I think our republic has been under assault. They're attacking us at the border. They're attacking our elections. They're attacking our Senate and our House. They're attacking our civil liberties. They're attacking our Supreme Court, the rule of law. They're attacking our children through this indoctrination under critical race theory and other Marxist propaganda and, and sex, sex identity propaganda, which is essentially anti-human and Marxist in many ways, our republic is truly under assault. And we have the challenge of a corrupt uh, a president who's compromised, cognitively challenged. Uh, so these are serious times for our country. And Judicial Watch knows the way forward and knows the way out. And I describe that for you in the book. So I encourage you to purchase it. It's a great gift for you. Uh, for, for your family members, uh, any young person in your family who needs to be educated about the truth about what's been going on. It's a great book. It's accessible. And I encourage you, uh, you to buy uh, the paperback or even buy the hardcover. Hardcover is obviously a keeper. Uh, and uh, by doing so, you not only help Judicial Watch, uh, but you also send a signal to the uh, to. To, the, to America, this is where I stand. So the more books we sell, we get it back on the bestsellers list and uh, 
it gets more attention to the corruption fines and work exposed in our book. So I encourage you to, again, purchase A Republic Under Assault on sale now at your favorite bookseller. So with that, I thank you for your patience and watching this lengthy but historic Judicial Watch update, and I'll see you here next time. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.